Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Well, I'm back again. Mark has brought me back for another podcast, and as he and I talked about a number of episodes ago on the Brain Mastery Podcast, we wanted to have a more inclusive conversation in the mental health space. And that's what we have here today. You'll hear from Mark in just one second. I'm Scott Rentoul from, for those of you who've heard the podcast before for episodes that I have guest hosted. And we have a very special guest today, friend of mine, new friend of Mark's, I believe as well. His name is Corey Hirsch. For those hockey fans out there, you'll know Corey as a former NHL goaltender, Guy won a Memorial Cup as a goalie in Kamloops, an Olympic silver medalist for Canada. He was an NHL goalie coach. He's currently the color commentator for the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650. Hershey, thanks for doing this. Oh, this is awesome. It's good to be here with you guys. Working with you, Scotty, was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. My nose is growing right now, actually. So, everybody. <laughs> and then, Mark, you connected me with Mark, and, and it's all, you know, it's been great just getting connected with other people and, and just you know, moving forward with us, we're all just trying to help make the world a better place. And Mark, let's bring you into the conversation here as well. You obviously are the CEO and co-founder of ABI Wellness. You are a former athlete as well as a Canadian, loosely, loosely Canadian university football player. And one of the conversations I think we should have here, guys, is about the fact that you guys are both survivors, survivors of different traumatic episodes in your lives. But you guys are survivors. Hershey, you wrote an extremely detailed open letter to the world talking about how close you were to suicide. Mark, you are a cancer survivor as well. Mark, let's start with you. How did that impact your life and what you choose to do today? I mean, it started early for me, you know, born with, you know, dyslexia as well, diagnosed with that in grade one. I think everybody's dealing with something, right? Uh, All of us are. And uh, it just, it hits us in different ways at different times. And for me in the cancer journey, it was really enabled me to really appreciate each day even more. I really do look at, I know it sounds cliche, but I do look at it as, as a, a gift each day, right? You just don't know what's around each corner. So what are you going to do with the 24 hours you're given each day? And that's what I've committed you know, my life to is to try to serve those that don't even get an option, man. And that's wrong because now we know enough that you know the story We've done enough research now that we know we're making a difference. And now it's our responsibility to provide an option for people who need it. I think that's really cool. It's it's a lot of people are asking for help now. We're at a point where people are asking for help, but they're struggling to find where to go and the resources. And that's where I think um, we need to to try and make a change, let people know where to go. And it's a really tough system to navigate from what I've noticed. So if we can make that change, I think we can help even more people. But, you know, Scotty, like, like Mark had said, you know, we all have issues except for you. I mean, you are the perfect human being. Like, really? I mean, you, you know, we are just looking I, at I my red hair and it's because we're both ginger. Like, how do you still have hair like that? <laughs> I don't have any, right? I don't, I don't have any. But, you know, as I was saying, I do have an interesting question that just popped into my head as we start this off. So I was close to suicide for myself. Mm-hmm. You had cancer. So two different kind of things. But when you think of somebody, and I, I, I'm trying to say this in, a, in mm-hmm. a PC type way, you would do anything to live. 
Whereas someone like me, my brain was just on fire and I had had no, didn't know where to go. So how does that conversation go when you see someone like me or just even think about it? You know, I was somebody that was at the point where I was just done and I had no, yeah. what, nothing to do, but you were somebody that wanted to live. And you see somebody that's like, I would give anything to be you right now because cancer is, is ravaging my body and I could possibly, right. It yeah, could be deadly. Sure. So someone like me, I always wondered what that is like for someone. Yeah. You know, the way I look at it is these days, there's a lot of popularity around stoic literature and each day you're one day closer to not being here. Yeah. So the way I look at it is being open when we're struggling, being able to be courageous enough, all of us, whether it's cancer or mental health or anything else, being courageous enough to say, I'm not okay right now. And Corey, but I haven't told you and I haven't told Scott this, and it was something that I held really, really close to my heart with my wife was when I heard about this, November 7th, 2013, I'm out buying a Slurpee with my kid. I'm actually buying dog food for my dog. I'm about to speak to a group of inner city parents in North Surrey who were struggling. And I'm going to do this conversation, this, this meeting. And I get a call from my doctor. I'm like, that's weird. Why is Richmond calling me? I got to go do this talk. Kids go, dad, can we get a Slurpee? I never buy Slurpees. <laughs> like, yeah, get two. Who cares, right? Because he, he, he tells me this information. And I think all of us are dealing with that. It's not like I was like, oh, I'm going to deal with this. Corey, and Scott knows this, like I'm rarely quiet. I was quiet for like seven full days Yeah, in my head saying, what the heck is this? And I didn't know what to do with it. And it took my wife coming over to me saying, Mark, what's going on? But do you feel any animosity towards someone like me in no. a way? I don't mean animosity. No, I know what you mean. We're good. Yeah. No. And it, because the, the reason I'm opening with this is because I didn't want to die. And we're, this is heavy to start with. No, no, it's good. Fun. Um, so I just want to reiterate for people out there that are, are looking at people like me that are, are selfish or whatever in, in, in that realm, I just didn't see a way out, out of yeah. my own brain. And my yeah. own, you know, when, you're, when your brain is like that and it's not right and it's, I, I, I hate using the term broken, you have people that would do anything to live and then you have somebody that, has taken their own life. Most people, I would say almost all of people that have gotten to that point, they've suffered for a long time. It's not like they just wake up one morning and the next morning they're like, nah, you know what? This sounds like a good idea. It's been years and years and years of suffering. And I guess the reason I say this and I talk this is that I want people to know that it's, it's not that people want to die. Maybe some, maybe some do. I, I don't know. But my situation was, I didn't want to. I just didn't see a way out and I couldn't live the way I was living. I was living and I was tortured by my own brain daily. And unless you've experienced that, you don't know what it's like. And sometimes I'll make the reference to um, cancer, or diabetes or something like that. I don't know if that's fair, but when your brain is like that, it can be just as deadly oh, for, for, sure. for people. Your only option is the, instead of the disease taking you, your only option to out is, is something like that. But what I could compare but, it to, what I could compare it to for you. Yeah. Is when I was, what I wanted to say is when I was sitting there quiet, Corey, in my own head too. Yeah. Do I surrender to this? I think it meets there. Like I was scared to talk about it because I was like, yeah. oh, oh, like, okay, do I just, what do I do? Like, like, what do I do? And who do I talk to? And can I talk to anybody about this? 
who do I talk to? Because then, then I go to that place of, if I talk to someone, am, am I burdening them with my stuff? Right? Is, and is that my place oh, to burden them there. with my stuff, right? But I was there too. If I disclose this, am I causing them harm in doing that? And is it selfish of me to put this on them? Yeah, that's a great way to, to say it. And I do want to say this. I didn't think there was any other options for me, but there are, there were. And it's, there were 100%. options for you that saved you. 100%. There were options for me that saved me. But at the time, you really don't, you don't know. And it's that unknown and that you just think, well, this, but it's is, also that this feeling. is it. And that's the other thing I think where it meets. I think you said it really well, Corey. It's, that's where it meets. I knew things weren't quite right for a while. Did I want to go to the doctor? you know i was busy i had a lot of stuff doing i mean of course i'm tired i'm you know i'm busy i'm in graduate school i'm running companies i'm doing stuff mm -hmm. of course i'm busy right and they went to go do a you know a um a biopsy and i'm i could talk sometimes intelligently but like the the doctor who's doing the biopsy is saying hey 36 37 you're pretty healthy like you're pretty good why are we doing this and I'm kind of like, maybe I can talk about it doing this. Oh, wouldn't that be great? That looks like a big needle. So, you know, I am really healthy. And, you know, and then I'm like, you know what? My doctor thinks I should do this. I think we should really do this. But that was a pivotal moment in my life, Scott. And I've told you this before, where it was like, I had to do what I didn't want to do, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And I had to say, I think we should do this because I trust my GP. He wants us to do this. Let's just do it so everybody's happy. And then that call came three weeks later. And I think the other part that you brought up is that you didn't know what to do. You didn't see a way out. And I'm not sure if you had that either, Mark, or if you had that at some point in your life. But I think one of the important things we can get into as well is that people that are one degree away, people who are very close to the person who is suffering, they might not know what to do either. What they do know is they want to find that help as quickly as they can. And they want to be the gateway to that help. I've been in that situation. My wife was diagnosed with cancer two months in to our marriage. And fortunately, she had a very treatable form of cancer. But I can relate to some of the things you guys are saying. I can relate to, I don't want to burden you. There are people with worse cancers than my wife. Right. She's going to be okay. She had to go through four hellish months of chemo. And you still never know because the percentages aren't 100%. And fortunately, she is clear, clean from cancer and everything is fine. But I've been there as well. And I think the difficult place that people find themselves right now, whether they have a loved one dealing with a mental illness or some other form of brain injury. Where do I go? Who do I turn to? How do I get this person help? First of all, I got to convince the person that it's okay. Then I've got to find the help and people don't know where to go. What do you say to those people? Just never stop searching. Never. I, I went to six or seven different therapists before I found someone that could really. So just because you go to one person, you know, Maybe you get discouraged by them, but don't stop searching. It's same, probably same for you, Marius, is that maybe the first person wasn't the person. I don't know what your story is, but maybe the first person. Okay, well, let's go find somebody else. Okay, well, it might take five, six different therapists, whatever, doctors, whatever, but don't stop searching. Uh, that, that would be my thing. And, and talk to friends, talk to people that can refer you to people. Don't be afraid to ask somebody. Hey, do you know somebody for this? Or do you know somebody for that? And then they might know somebody that knows somebody that robs somebody, you know? What's that? That was Snoop Dogg, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, anyways, I'll throw a Snoop Dogg reference in there. <laughs> but yeah, just 
ask questions and don't be people. People love helping other people. They, they really do. So don't be afraid to ask. Did you find yourself in a place where you just needed to know that someone else cared enough? For me, uh, I think now it's like that. But back then, I was more terrified to tell anybody because of the stigma. So I didn't really ask around. And it, it would have been nice, actually, to find somebody that was going through the same thing I was. Because you feel like, oh, I'm the only one going through this. Yeah, And that's more so with mental health. So I would have loved to have met somebody that was going through the exact same thing that I was, but nobody was speaking back then. Nobody was saying anything. So you just felt like you're on an island. And I remember thinking, I'm the only one. I'm just crazy. Like, I'm the only one out there. I'm yeah. just nuts. Yeah. And, you know, this is just the way it is. So that was more of, of how I felt with that. But I was going to ask you, Scott. So when you had your wife like that and you're a spouse or you're a family member, you must just feel helpless. Absolutely. hundred percent. Very helpless. And the type of personality I am, I want to be a fixer. I want to be somebody oh, guys. who's a problem, right? <laughs> That's what I want to do. 100%. So what I think people often do in this situation is they take on more. That's certainly what I did. Yeah. Well, my wife's got to deal with this and that's a lot. And it's far worse than anything I have going on in my life. So I'm going to take on more. Whatever that is, I'll carry that burden. And that has an effect on you at some point down the road, because at some point you got to put that burden down or it's going to break you. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that a lot of people go through in those situations. They take on a lot and they feel as though they shouldn't talk about some of the struggles they might be going through at that time. Yeah. And it's, that would be, I've never really thought of it that way because there's, everybody thinks there's a different level of what's worse. Well, cancer is worse than this or that, or this is the, so you're always like, well, I don't want to burden them with my stuff because they're going through this or that. Yes. I use that saying sometimes to each their own, but there are times, especially as a spouse or a partner, I've had people struggle with what I'm going through a lot, not know where to go or where to turn, you know, and same thing, Mark, like what did everyone around you do? Oh, they were unbelievable. The pivotal moment was when, you know, I was talking with one of my mentors, Howard, great guy, big mentor in my life. And I was just like, my go-to would be more quiet and internalized and just deal with it and be gritty. That's how I roll. That's we're all the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, how, and how about our parents? I'll just go for a walk. Well, no, my, <laughs> see, They're a little different the, for the you, compounding but. variable was that my dad also had lymphoma. Okay. And so, but he at that time didn't really feel comfortable explaining that to other people. And then Howard kind of encouraged me to, to be open and say that, you know, you know, he's a kind of a, a woke dude. Uh, Howard is kind of like, Hey, you can't control how other people feel. Anyways, my coworkers rallied around me, my friends, my neighbors, they all came together with me, you know, I watched the Super Bowl together. You know, when I was really sick, I did the workout to conquer cancer. Cause that's just how I roll right before chemo. Raised a bunch of money. Maybe that was me looking to have some semblance of control, which I'm sure it was, but also impacted my lifestyle. Like I changed, I, I moved more, I started meditating. You know, I, I really started to do that. And what it did for me, Corey, was I looked at, I said, when I get through this, and it was no if, it's when I get through this. I don't know what's on the other side. I have no clue what's on the other side. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to exhaust my potential each day. And over the work that I've done, and you know, I work in kind of cognitive rehab work, I was like, the people that we were serving right before all this happened to, to, to me or for me 
in a weird way, I was looking at the world of concussion. And what I found was that there was not a focus on community, on rehab for people that are struggling in community with brain injury. But there was so much for cancer. I had so many PET scans. I, I joke that I have gamma radiation. <laughs> I could be the Hulk at any moment. I had so much help. They were calling me. I remember phoning my, my nurse going, I have a dextamethadone. And a, they all sound like transformers to me. I was like, what pill do I take and when and why and all these things. And they're calling me back and they're checking in on me. But I'm, I'm thinking, what about my wife? What about my kids? What about all this stuff? And then I kept thinking about the other population, all the people with brain injury that I'm committed my professional work to. I was like, okay, so thankfully I'm fortunate. I got such great care with cancer, but what about this population? And, you know, it's fitting being where we are, you know, a lot of, sadly, a lot of people in this part of town where we are in East Vancouver, 50% have history of brain injury. And what can we do to better serve and support that? Well, that's the moment for you that you turn what is a passion and advocation into a profession. And this is something I didn't mention when we introduced you, Hershey, is that you are a very outspoken mental health advocate. You're a public speaker, and you've also launched a podcast called Blindside, which is excellent. And you do it in conjunction with Dr. Diane McIntosh, who's a fantastic psychiatrist, and you guys co-host together. And you talk to some very big names throughout the world of sport. When did it go from you to a place where, well, I want to help others, but I can help the broader community and I need to do more and I need to do bigger. It's, it's just evolved over time. And the way I, I viewed this, when I, when I pitched this, this podcast to the players tribune, I was thinking, okay, we all have a platform, no matter how big, I don't care if you're a housewife, a construction worker, whatever you do, we all have some form of a platform. However, with elite athletes and celebrity status, we have an opportunity to have a massive platform. And that doesn't mean anybody's better than anybody else. Or mm -hmm. We're all equal in my mind. I don't yeah. care if you're, if you're Michael Jordan or me. He's just a, an athlete that's incredible at his sport. Well, there's incredible doctors out there. There's incredible lawyers. There's incredible home builders. So to me, we're all, but, but some levels of platforms are bigger. So when I pitch to the Trip Players Tribune, I'm like, well, how can we reach as many people as quickly as possible? And that was through elite athletes and the Players Tribune. The reason I went to them is because when you look at their past history of what they've done, none of their stuff is a gotcha moment. It's not a, hey, I'm going to expose this guy for this or this or this or this or that. It's all about all the articles are about, okay, hey, what have you gone through? How can we use this as a vehicle to help other people? So that's where I went to the Players Tribune because they told my story with such compassion and empathy. And I think that's the way we need to reach people. It's not a, hey, oh my goodness, this guy's got busted for cocaine and let's just trash him and, you know, guilty before proven. It's not any of that. It's like, okay, well, this guy got had a drug problem or this guy had an alcohol problem or this guy went through mental health. What did they do? to get to the other side to get better so that the person right now that might be having a DUI might be sitting there going, I'm in rehab. Uh, I don't feel good at whatever. They can look at a guy like friend of mine, Daryl Sador, uh, DUI rehab. Okay. Well, what did Daryl do? And he got to the other side. Maybe I can too. So that's really the podcast again. Thank you for bringing it up as blindsided. So we've had Kurt Warner, Bubba Watson, Kevin Love, Daryl Sador, 
Taylor Townsend. We've had some really, really great people on there. And they're all just, we're all the same thing. We all just want to help people. We all just want to use the biggest platform we can and get the word out as far reaching as we can just to help people. And it's, it's really cool. And Mark, it's like, it's like what you do. It's, it's the same thing. You're just trying to help people and same with you, Scotty. And I think that's why we're all sitting here, you know, talking about this. And it's, it's, again, it's all about just trying to make the world a better place and help people. 100%. And kudos to you for doing it. I think it takes, that's the thing. It does take a lot of courage and, you know, for better or worse, I think for better, I know I've learned a lot about the brain and some really remarkable people and all of us have hardwired into us a negativity bias that's in there to protect us. And Dr. Rick Hansen does a really good job explaining that work um, out of Berkeley and, and Harvard. And it can be hard for us to move away from, like it takes intention and focused effort to move away from that negativity bias in order to help us to move towards taking in the good. That, 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 that's what he, I signed, used to sign up my emails, you know, take in the good. Because it was a reminder, a conscious reminder to try to move away from the negativity towards the positivity. And that's what you're doing with this podcast. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. Well, it's a you. narrative that's really needed out there. Yeah. And it's, again, it's not about, you know, because these guys are better than anybody else. It's about the platform. If we don't use our platform for good, then, then shame on us in a, in a way. And I was going to ask you this too. I just thought of this. I don't know if there's a person out there that's never had a concussion. I'd be, sure I'd be shocked is. because but, I mean, it's kids. Well, kid. right? Scotty, you've had many, many. I've I talked to you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I remember for me, I was yeah. big and strong. I had one at U of A where I got knocked out. I went to get back up. My trainer took my helmet away. What are you doing? Why? And I owe everything to her because I, I knew something wasn't right. But you get used to it in football. And what they did when they pulled my helmet away, it was rest and drugs. And that was where I was like, hold on. So when I tore my ACL, rotator cuff, all the other stuff, we had an active plan. It all made good logical sense. But if, this didn't make sense, man. I never thought I'd have a chance to do anything about it. I just thought, well, they're the doctors. They know everything. You know, they, they know it all. But what they didn't know, what they were trying to screen out was, could there be a bleed? Could there be a problem? Could we do potential harm? So what they were trying to do was, let's see, let's monitor. I think with good, really good intentions. But the beautiful thing is that this is all coming along. Like science is moving. Science is doing a great job. I'm so optimistic about the future with not only cognitive health, but mental health as well and exhausting the behavioral potential first. So yeah, many concussions. But this is part of the conversation that I really wanted to have with the two of you because you guys come at this from different places, but there is this shared entity in the middle of it, which is the brain. And one of the great quotes that your co-host on Blindsided, Dr. Diane McIntosh had, which I agree with wholeheartedly. And I was like, thank you for saying it because you're so much more credible than me. She said, we all have mental health, but we don't all have mental illness. And the definition of mental health needs to expand because concussions are a part of mental health. And there are stereotypical brain injuries that people might have in a car accident or with a stroke. There is mental illness that affects mental health. There is anoxic brain injury as a result of an overdose. And these worlds need to talk to each other. It can't be, oh, you have a concussion? Go over there. No, well, you might have a concussion and you're dealing with mental illness and you might have something else going on. I, I, you said it really well and I never really thought of that. I remember Diane saying that and I never really thought of that. And it's, um, it's so true just because 
there's a massive difference between mental health and mental illness. And that's part of the, the issue. Like, so if, if you have, if you tear your rotator cuff, well, okay, we're going to send you to the shoulder yep. surgeon, right? If, if you, you have heart, well, we're going to send you to the heart guy with mental health. It's like, okay, well go see this person and hopefully they can, it's, they sound, sounds like they know what they're doing. It's such a trial and error with mental health. And I think that's a big part of the issue right now. And people get frustrated with it and our wait times are way too long. I know our, I know a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists right now, people get frustrated because they're sitting there going, well, you can't get me in for three months. What do you mean? I'm sitting here white knuckling it. It's not the psychiatrist and the psychologist. They're overwhelmed, not trying to be jerks, but, but they are overwhelmed. And then you got to think that when you sit around and you listen to other people's stuff all day, like you got to take breaks for you too. You know, imagine someone coming to you and saying, look, I feel suicidal. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't get out of bed in the mornings, barely. And then you got to take that on as a psychiatrist. And you have three patients like that a day. So we need to change the system for faster access. But how do we do that? I, I, you know, that's, that's the big question. It absolutely is. And Mark, maybe this is where you chime in as well, because what you're doing with your podcast, Corey, and Mark, what you're doing with this podcast and the people that you talk to, you're getting the word out. Now we're getting the word out to a level of people who are at the point where hopefully they'll talk to somebody and hopefully they're willing to take that next step. But the word also needs to get out to the people who provide funding and provide resources. How do we get the word out there? Because when these people do get to a point where they're able to talk to somebody and say, okay, here's what I'm dealing with. Where do I get help? The help needs to be available. hundred percent. It all starts with, you know, sadly, uh, or optimistically research, right? Asking the right questions and doing proper research that is, you know, not necessarily only randomized controlled trials, but that's that's the top tier, but also, you know, good medical research, uh, asking good questions and then understanding what the data says and then allowing the data to speak. And then from there, communicating that. So I think it comes down to, this is where it's a great world to be in where you can share information much better than before. You know, when I was running schools, they used to call me principal linebacker. Remember Terry Tate commercials? Remember those? Yeah. I do. You got to put covers on the TPS. There you go. So we would get interest from places like Australia with no marketing whatsoever, nothing. Because they'd heard that the brain can change and neuroplasticity is a thing. It's not positive nor negative. It just is. But I think expecting a little bit more that if you want an opportunity to try to get a little bit better, the brain has a remarkable capacity to change. No one's arguing that anymore. I was the guy at parties that when we when I first started working in this, because I was optimistic about the brain changing, but I didn't know enough, right? I didn't know enough for sure, right? And then, so I'd, fin- I'd finished, you know, human kinetics degree and then was working at this amazing school, but I was curious, but again, cautiously optimistic. I needed to see the kids change and not need medications in some cases for attention deficit with the age. And then I was always curious in the back of my mind, what's the people that really struggle? What about that? And maybe there's something we could do about it. Maybe one day. And then, you know, the the funny thing is the world will put people in front of you. There was a kid who came from Southern California with a severe TBI at birth. There was also a kid who was from Alberta. Won't mention his name, but uh, from Alberta who was had a severe TBI as well because of his cognitive deficits. Was not challenged. TBI? uh, Traumatic brain injury. Was not challenged, Scott. You can see in my eye, it frustrates me. What people do with the challenge is up to them. 
But if you don't expect a challenge of people, what do you get? Not much. And this kid out of school, as a part of his, you know, curriculum, was picking up garbage. The father and the mother said, hey, we'll bring in on our own dime some support to help him improve some of his functioning. So you're saying this kid's not worthy of a challenge? What does that do when you scale it out to society? Not okay with it. And it never will be. Now, it's your option. It's your choice. If you choose not to be challenged like with anything, fine. But our system needs some change. And I think it just starts in percentages. You know, 1% here, 2% here. You know, one of the people we work with, great guy, 26 years post-TBI, living in his brother's basement, wonderful human being. He never even got an opportunity to try to improve his cognition because no one knew. So I think how we can help is by sharing the information that neuroplasticity is real. The brain can change throughout a lifetime. You know, when I approached March of Dimes Canada in a post-stroke recovery group, I went to their similar thing. I went to an amazing support group, listened to remarkable human beings, but there wasn't, a, what was missing was hope. You know, it was like deal with this new reality, which is true. But there's still maybe some unrealized potential there that we could focus. Oh, there's a lot of unrealized potential. And there's a bunch of different levers to pull here. And part of it's the information lever. And then part of it's the action lever where our governments need to step in and we need more resources. And one of the things you've talked about for years, Corey, and you've said it numerous times, hey, this should be mandated in schools that kids learn about this stuff because they don't know. And as much as you're happy to provide the podcast, Kids shouldn't have to go to a podcast to find out what's going on and to find out that there's a resource there. And I'm not trying to, to yeah, shut down your podcast, but you, no. you mentioned this should be part of the curriculum. I, absolutely. I, I um, was at an awards thing the other day with Alex Rodriguez was speaking and he made a good point. He's like, he's big into business. Right. He's like, why are we not teaching our kids business skills? Why are we not teaching them uh, mental health skills? Why are we not? Instead, we're teaching them things that they're probably never going to use. So why are we not teaching them life skills? And I would like an answer for that. However, it just doesn't seem to circulate. I don't, maybe there's something bigger than I don't know, but, but why are we not teaching kids how to pay bills? And, and I remember my first year pro when I had to get my own place, I hadn't paid a bill. I didn't know how to set up my utilities. I, I didn't know, you know, how, how to even like a rental agreement or anything like that. And I know we're talking mental health, but why are we not teaching them this? Why are we not teaching them mental health? When I speak to schools and kids, they want the information. I went in there first talk I ever did. I'm like, how am I going to hold these kids in attention for five minutes? I can't even <laughs> hold my own kids. I go 40, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And I'm, they're like, they're glued to their seats because they want the information. And it's, uh, it's a shame that a lot of times we don't give them to. I would love more information. I've had many concussions myself, some really bad ones. I know nothing about concussions because today I feel like I'm okay, but how can that concussion when I was 15 not affect me today? I was back on the ice two days later. So we're thankfully in a much better place now. And I don't believe that yeah. the doctors back then were trying to screw anybody over. No. Or they only knew what they knew. Yeah. And now it's better, but we have so much more to learn. And I was going to ask you, like, so what would someone like me do? I'm, I'm 49. I had concussions when I played. Where would I go now to see if that's still affecting me? Like, what, well, would, what would I do? 
again, I'll answer that in two different ways. So I'm also a coach, a hockey coach for a very low level, you know, house team that I, I love, you know, rallying cats, uh, hurting cats, a wonderful group of kids. But the, the issue is that with the concussion stuff early on is that they do compound, right? And, and so the, the key is to reduce the opportunity for a second impact, which can be very bad. And that's where Rowan's Law comes in. The reality is you need to look at your habits. I would go to, you know, we'll get this in the show notes, but James Clear book on atomic habits, which is really setting up your day for success. So what are the behavioral things you're doing each day to realize a more focused day? right? So I go back to my cancer journey. I was going to walk every day. I knew that was good for the brain. I knew that was good for blood flow. I knew that was good. If I had tumors actively, maybe that would help. Exercise seems to help everything. But what's the problem with exercise? I don't want to do it. Right. So, so what if you track it? What if you're actually the person who really actually used their Fitbit and actually looked at those data? What if you're the person who actually stuck with meditation and actually did that? Well, that would really potentially help your mental health. What if you developed a system that you used for yourself to exhaust the positive behavioral benefit? And that's really what I suggest. And that's what we're doing now with a lot of clinics that we work with. As Scott knows, we work with like healthcare providers. So like physical therapists, OTs. Scott's like, you know, really helping to to bring OT to light when he hosted our podcast for a little bit as a guest host. A lot of people don't understand what an occupational therapist can do for your health. They can really help you with systems and help you improve your day-to-day activities of daily living. And I think that, you know, for, for people out there that are struggling, I have a lot of guys that I play football with who are worried and I hear from them and I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? And that's the thing that right now, don't ignore it. That's the worst thing that you could do because if you ignore it, you're being me at the surgeon and, and Hey, I get that you want to ignore it. I totally get it. But have the courage for yourself and those that love you to do something about it. And we're just trying to make those options more available. So what you can do about it is there are ways, there is vestibular rehab that good PTs can do out in community if you're having balance issues. If you're, if you're having cognitive issues, sustained focus and attention issues, talk with your doctor about it. Go to a PT. Go to an OT. I mean, this is why we exist, was we don't yet see good well accessed cognitive therapies available. And it kind of blew my mind when I was chatting with Barbara and Howard, two of my great mentors. I was saying, surely, you know, people are aware of this issue that it's, and also surely they're aware it's possible. Change is possible throughout about a lifetime. And that's what our research with the great team of docs at UBC did and found is that the brain has remarkable capacity to change throughout a lifetime. How much? Well, that's up to the individual and and their engagement and and their brain. But the brain does have, it's undeniable, remarkable ability to change throughout a lifetime. So I would say channel the efforts towards positive brain change. Well, there's been proof that meditation can actually regenerate brain cells. Is that, I've I've heard that. Well, exercise can promote neurogenesis, which is that release of new brain cells. And meditation could really, really have significant help on on overall mental health and quality. Remarkable benefit. And they can't even, st- that's the problem is measuring meditation when you look at what's happening in the East. Like, unbelievable. What if they take a scan of your brain and there's a hamster on a wheel and tumbleweed? <laughs> oh, you saw my scan, eh? No, it was mine too. <laughs> Sweet. Well, now we got something coming. But I think you make a really good point. And as I bring both of your thoughts together, at least what I'm hearing right now is, okay, Mark, you're saying, okay, do something about it. Go find that resource that can help you. 
And Corey, you're saying, well, what if I'm worried? There are a lot of people in the age range we find ourselves in that used to play sports and maybe they forget something one day, something small, or maybe it's a little bit bigger. And they, well, is that just midlife? Is that just me getting on? Am I a little bit tired? Or does that have to do with something that happened earlier? And this is where I wish more crossover existed. And we see it in some places right now, but we don't see enough of it so that there would be facilities where all of these worlds come together so that it's not just, well, I talked to my GP about it and he or she recommended I go see this person, but there's a barrier. Well, I got to book an appointment and that's a ways down the road, but there are facilities and not enough of them, but I want to see more where it's all under one house. Hey, guess what? I'm dealing with an addiction problem. I also have a mental illness issue. They don't have to be treated in a silo, we can have these worlds work together, yeah. and that's where we need to go, isn't it? Uh, definitely. I, I mean, and there, there are there are places like that, but there, there are times when I've sat there in front of people and I, I've known them for twenty years, and I'm like, I forget their name for about thirty seconds, and that scares me. And then I'm wondering, is that just age? Is that did the hamster stop running on the wheel? So that, yeah, and and I, I love how you talked about avoiding just. Yeah, just gonna avoid it because I I do that too. Well, I like I I've I I know like I need to go get a physical done because I'm old and I've been avoiding it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I get <laughs> just it. go get it done. And it's, I get it. Uh, so if you're out there like thinking like, yeah, you just you got to go get that stuff done. So you've actually inspired me today. Oh, um, excellent. But as far as yeah, with the brain injury stuff, I'm fascinated to learn more about it as I get older. I think when we're younger, what happens is we're just ah shaking them. We'll just, we'll just keep going and things get, but then once you get older, it starts to, okay, well, I remember that one, you know what, but that was what I was interested in and asking you where to go. Do I need brain scans? Do I need all that stuff? Or do I just need to continue to, you know, do the meditation, the exercises, all that stuff, but really how do you diagnose what happened to me? Like CTE, they they're not diagnosing it until you're past now. It is or illegal. Well, they're, they're yeah, yeah. But they should. I mean, why why is that? Why not? Why can't we see if someone's going to? Well, CTE is a whole route? other. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a big one. Is it? And it's important. But what what I think is w- when we go back to the earlier in the conversation talking about where are, where are we right now and what we have is today. So when we think about how we're feeling, you know, when you're in kind of like cancer therapy type situation or any sort of situation. I like cognitive data. I'm a nerd. So I like looking at cognitive changes, neuropsych measures, that kind of stuff. You know, MRIs, that, that I, I like all that stuff. But we're, what really matters is how am I feeling today? And every time I went in for a treatment, it was a line out of 10. And I thought it was kind of silly, right? I'm like, well, we got all this cool data stuff. I want to hear about that stuff. But how am I doing? That's the most important data measure. There's nothing more important than that. And so many people out there right now, they're constantly at a one with no hope to get to a two. So what I think you can do is track your behavior, right? Like that's the big, the big lesson I learned through this. But by looking at what's out there in best in class and other medical approaches and, and really, you know, in even organizational approaches, you know, what gets measured gets done. And if you're reliably measuring it every single day, you're going to understand where you're at. Otherwise, it's overwhelming. Like, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to run today. You know what? I've just decided I'm going to run. Today's going to be the day I start it. And then you run and you're exhausted and you feel terrible because it's the first time you run in a long time. 
You don't have a plan. Well, you got to have a plan and you got to measure it. And then you do that over the course of, I think, research suggests around 66 days, you can start turning that into a habit. And once you turn it into a habit, believable. But this is an important connection, I think, that you're talking about. Because one of the things that, and me being a neophyte, really interests me about the Bears platform that ABI Wellness has, and I think interests you, Corey, as well, is that there is a way to track this and to measure this as opposed to, I kind of feel like a four, or maybe I feel like a six, but I don't really know what the difference is between the two. And I know as a former athlete, you understand that because if you go see something that says, well, my hamstring's operating at 73%, I know I need to get it stronger if I'm going to play again. If you can have a way to measure that more closely for the brain, that's an effective tool for you to realize one, where I'm at, but two, oh, I'm making progress and that gives me hope and that leads to more progress. That's a fascinating thought because I've never actually done that where I've tracked how I feel every day. And um, I think it's really important. It's, um, I think that's, that's a fascinating way to look at things because I, I just get up and I'm like, ah, well, one today. And then the next day, you know, and I don't even measure it, but I'm just like, ah, I feel crappy today. Or it's like five yeah, days yeah, later. I get it. Yeah, I'm doing all right today. Rather than you know, measure it. How do you feel after exercise? You gotta be specific. How do you feel after you've eaten something like after you've eaten a ton of potato chips and it's okay. usually not good? Not good. And how is it affecting my mental health? And you, you can track all that stuff, which is fascinating. Well, the beauty of it all that I, that we have found, and it, again, it all just came out of inquiry, which again, it's it's way smarter minds than mine. You know, Barbara Aerosmith Young created the cognitive enhancement program i think she should get the order of canada one day uh, she's a gift to the world in education uh, and in the you know in health howard eaton who's another real innovator a mentor of mine you know we have this question and it came as a result of at a conference at u of t in the spring of 2013 it's funny how the world works right because i got sick like five months after and we're listening to people we're supposed to be inspired at this conference and at the end of the conference one of the postdocs gets up those are people who just finished graduate school and he's repackaging MapQuest for people with brain injury, basically making the font bigger. I'm like, okay, that could help people. But that's not like, that's not go to Toronto for a week and a half away from my kids and my dog, like big. You know, that's not big. It's not a big idea. And, you know, Barbara kind of turned to me, I'll never forget it, and said, well, maybe you could be the one to do that. And I was like, oh, God. But it comes down to behavior and tracking behavior, right? Reliably. That's the key. And it's just not sexy and it's just not done. But what we've found, as Scott knows, is we've built a clinical network now and it's only growing. And the other thing that you need to, we need to be aware of is the clinical trials work. You know, I've known all about clinical trials before COVID <laughs> because of the kind of cancer I had. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to speak at, at clinical trials, uh, BC clinical trials with BC cancer recently because asking good questions will inform clinical practice. And initially we just wanted to do this cognitive work. That's all I wanted to do. But then I realized we're all human. We're all lazy. All of us are. So if we get motivated by tracking and measuring and looking at our progress, that's why things like Strava exist and, and people love them, is you're measuring yourself against yourself yesterday and trying to be yesterday. What if your hangovers take two, three days after now instead of <laughs> like when you're a kid? No, this is actually a serious question in the sense that the, the effects of alcohol oh. on the brain. I mean, it's it's not good. and But... The other thing is, I think, and you need to get the proper doctors on to talk about that. But the the other thing is to forgive yourself when you screw up, because sometimes you can build that negative momentum where it's like, I'll never start. 
right? There's no way. I can't do it. It's too much. I eat too many carbs. I, I can't move. My knee hurts. We were just talking about some of that before. There's a lot of different excuses. But I like so, some of the people who say, you know, try to reflect, go back, look at an exercise, aerobic exercise. After you've done the aerobic exercise, have you ever once regretted it? Ever once? Now, starting it, I mean, come on, like just yesterday, I'm like, I do not want to do this. But have you ever regretted it after you've done it? Nope. Never. Never in my life. I've never regretted it. What about after the 94 Olympics losing in the shootout to sweep? Yeah, but you feel a lot differently about that now <laughs> than you did then, don't you? Uh, it's all good. Yeah, no, you know what? That's a, that's a very valid point. No, you always feel well, better. You know what I like? I always at, feel better. One of my, another person I really respect, Mark, Mark Stevenson was like the head of performance for the Detroit Lions. Great, like awesome guy. You know, and, and he uses a metaphor that I think makes a lot of sense. It's the bank account and it's, it's, it's deposits and withdrawals. So if you can start your day, like my lunch runs, I hate running. But I like I, 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 to serve my family better, to serve myself better, to serve people I don't yet know better, to be more kind and open a door for a person. <laughs> I'm going to make that lunch investment when I can. Because I do that, I get more cerebral blood flow, I feel better, I get a release of dopamine. It could be a walk, it could be anything. But it's, I know, undeniably, it's good. And then also, you put in that effort towards good, positive self-development, that's a deposit into the health bank account. And, you know, the withdrawals are going to be, you know, sometimes driving a long way, not having accessibility to good food, a frustrating meeting that I had that gets, you know, all the all the bad uh, kind of stuff uh, in the brain going to. Uh, but if if we're building up more cognitive reserve, we all have this is the beauty. We have the opportunity to do this. We can do it. And it's hard. We have to recognize it's freaking hard to do it. But that's where on the clinical side, Scott, it's exciting to work with great providers. I was going to say. You know, there are many good innovative labs out there studying what's best out there. And I want to give a plug to one of the groups we know of in, in New York, Mount Sinai, and Dr. David Petruno and his lab. They're constantly looking at the best technologies out there and trying to better understand where they fit. And I think that's wonderful. We should also reiterate to say, though, that you're not going to cure traumatic brain injury or bipolar or OCD with a walk and a run. No. But every little bit helps and that's a part of the treatment that's a small part of the treatment the other is again like the institute that you yeah. just mentioned seeing good doctors going and getting those tests done not avoiding them there's all sorts of parts of it but if you're someone that's doing pretty fairly well and and you know yeah that little bit of exercise is going to help you and it i always tell people because people get discouraged by well do i have to go for an hour long run no you can go for a 20 minute walk but again, like I've always said, a walk is not going to cure a TBI, like you call it, right? I mean, no, not yeah. at all. But I know from talking to you a lot, Mark, and I know from just personal experience of how I feel personally. And you mentioned the the aerobic exercise. Do you ever feel bad after? No, you don't. You feel better. It's almost like you playing goal, Hershey. I can't ever go out and stop pucks like you can. But to even how many chance, people can, Scott? <laughs> but to even have a chance, I have to put on the equipment and getting that aerobic exercise, that little bit or that lot of it, whatever works for you, that's putting the equipment on to put yourself in a better spot to now be able to go through that next step of the process. We know that. I think what Corey said is bang on too. It's important that if you are struggling and are concerned, pick up the phone. We're fortunate to be, you know, we're here in Canada right now where there is, I mean, no, nothing's perfect. 
but there is accessible, relatively accessible uh, care uh, to most people. So if you're struggling, you know, please, please reach out to people. Any, it, you know, it starts with that acknowledgement and that call. Start there. But the other thing I want to add is that, you know, so let's, if you're in real trouble, you know, call a health professional, you know, immediately. But if you are, you know, in touch with your, with your doctor and you're just not quite where you want to be, you know, there's a book that I want to recommend. There's even lots of TED Talks out there with this guy. This guy is like, he's a monster in all the best ways. Uh, his name's Dr. John Rady. And he's one of the first people to my knowledge. He's a trained a psychiatrist in Boston, Harvard. He wrote a book called Spark. And this book changed my life because this book provides a very clear argument scientifically for the cognitive benefits of aerobic exercise. And he did it through study in Naperville, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, with a school district of kids with attention disorder and behavioral disorder. And what he did was he compared it. So he had, you know, he, he designed it. And the students who exercised at an appropriate dose before education, their behaviors dropped, their grades went up, everything got quite a bit better. Well, I mean, it's not rocket science, guys. Like, you know, you, you, it, it's, it's the process. You've got to put the process first. And that's what we did with the Bears platform. The Bears platform is not rocket science, but it's very logical. <laughs> and it puts the process in front. Well, of course, you yield results and you learn because you're putting the process first. How do people get a hold of you, Hershey? Because this conversation could go on for another few oh, hours. We're, we're going we're gonna to do this again. For Absolutely. Sure. We, really we, we really could. But I know um, one of the other things the three of us share is that we all feel extremely humbled when somebody reaches out to us, whether it's someone we know, whether it's someone we don't know, and they say, I don't know where else to go. I'd like to talk to you. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, at Corey Hirsch, 72 Instagram, Corey Hirsch, Twitter. You can go the Blindsided Podcast. Like, you can listen to that anywhere, Spotify, wherever you get your stuff. You know, I'm on, on Facebook, just send me a message. And I always tell people, I'm not qualified to treat you to, but maybe I can lead you in the right direction and I can make you feel a lot, a little bit less alone. And it's the same thing for you as a yeah. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm fortunate to work with some very bright people and, and, you know, our team at ABI wellness can help to point you to the right direction and just know, I mean, the big thing is that changes, you know, even small little incremental change can be possible for all of us right all the way down to you know some people that i work with who were sadly in the process of a long journey with with neurological cancer one of the women we worked with she's a huge mentor of mine she's passed away a couple of years ago but she her standard of care was to stay home and worry about what was happening what she did with our group a group of people was she walked every day. She meditated. She focused on her cognitive health at a dosage she could handle. And that gave her a level of optimism as she extended her time, which was remarkable. She's a huge teacher for me. You know, I hear her voice. I hear her every now and then. But like, she kind of reminds me, she's like a, on my shoulder kind of saying, you got to keep going because it needs to get better. And it's, and it's, and it's starting to get there. And that's what we'd encourage everybody out there to do, to keep going, to reach out, to talk to somebody and to be available to talk as well. I want to thank both of you for being available Thanks, to talk. I've awesome. learned so much Me from both of you over the years. And I learned a lot more today in this conversation. Thank you, guys. 
Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.